to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. From the first letter to the Corinthians, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jewish people ask for signs and the Greeks desire wisdom, but We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, sisters and brothers, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. For our youngest ones, I want to invite you to go ahead out. If you haven't, for extended time with extended session, you may quietly go back to the back and find your teachers in the back. For those of you that remain, I want to read again a portion of this scripture so that we may hold it together. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is weak. God is weak. It doesn't make any sense. 
This is what we call a paradox, right? A, uh, a statement that seems to contradict itself. The idea that God is weak is nuts, right? I mean, it was nuts when Paul wrote it a couple millennia ago. It's still kind of nuts today. God is not weak. God is strong, right? You know that. See, I didn't have to tell you that. God is big. God is powerful. God knows everything. God is in all places. God is the creator of all things. God is the prime mover, the, the first cause, the source. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God is not good. God is not what the passage says. The passage says that God is a fool. A fool knows nothing. A fool is ignorant. How can God be a fool? God can do anything. We know that. God is strong. God cannot be weak. God is worthy of our worship and our praise. It's why you and I show up here every Sunday. God can't be despised. The scripture says that God is not. God is nothing. But we know that God is. All this is just nuts, right? What in the world is going on in this text? Well, for one, you should know that, that paradox... Paradox is one of the great strategies that, that scripture writers use when they are trying to communicate something deep. You've probably heard these paradoxes uh, before. Let me remind you of some of them. We will see things that are hidden. We will conquer by yielding. We will find rest under the weight of a yoke. We will, we will experience freedom while we are still slaves. We will reign by serving. We will, we will be great by becoming small. We will be exalted by being humble. We will become wise by being fools. We will win by being defeated. We will live by dying. All of these are paradoxes. A paradox is kind of like rhetorical dynamite. It, it explodes when we read it. It explodes what we thought we knew, and it makes us examine again our assumptions. Paradoxes cause us to wonder, and we, we know from the time we spent in January, wonder gets us closer to God. A paradox can push you out of what we call binary thinking, this or that, good or bad, you or me. Paradoxes insist in both and thinking, this and that, good and bad, you and me. With these paradoxical claims about God, Paul is interrogating some of our most idolatrous assumptions about God. Specifically, if you assume that God's power looks and acts like worldly power, guess again. When we see people, when we look at the people around us, 
We look at the smartest person in the room and assume they have the most power. Or we look at the tallest person in the room and, and act like they have the most power. Or the best looking person in the room and act like they have the most power. The person who, who is strongest or inspires the most fear in others gets the most power from us. But the scripture says, guess again. The power of God may not be what it appears the testimony of the early church that we have in our scriptures says that the Holy One of God, the Son of Man, the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is the one who was crucified by the Roman Empire. This ludicrous idea says that Jesus, this poor, insignificant healer and sage who was crushed by the Roman Empire like the bug that he was, is at the same time a king. A king whose power makes the emperor's power look pitiful. Jesus, the apostles said, inaugurates the, the realm of God on earth, the reign of God, God's rule on earth. And Jesus does this by First, taking a bunch of nothings and nobodies, and he puts them into the center as, as the most important citizens of all. The beloved community of God inverts and turns inside out and upside down the world's power system. It's a new empire, and it will conquer the world with generosity and grace. When the powers of the world see Jesus and his alternative empire, they decide that he needs to die. Now, if Jesus' powers worked just like the world's powers, it is that moment in Scripture when the, the powers of the world decide Jesus needs to die that we should see some kind of rock and battle scene, Right? Like, that's what should happen. There should be uh, uh, the Roman armies, all the legions of Rome come against God's angels, and there's a huge battle that happens, and blood everywhere, and the, the winner is the strongest that survives, right? That's what should happen. Except Jesus doesn't fight against his enemies. Faced with hatred, he responds with love. And when he is offended, he forgives. And when the soldiers come with their swords drawn, he kisses them. And then they kill him. In an excruciating and ignominious way, he is degraded and dishonored. By the end, Jesus, too, is a nothing and a nobody. And this... Scripture says, is God. It's a paradox. It's a mystery, and it's more than just a little bit counterintuitive to most of us. But I think you get it, right? I trust you guys get it. I think the hard part is not getting it. The hard part is living in a world full of powers as though this were true. For one thing, it means that you have to be suspicious of anything that passes as worldly power, including the power that you have or that you benefit from. 
To follow a weak God is to become much more careful, much more discerning about the powers that are operating in and around you, for not all powers in the world serve God. Power that that dominates or subjugates, puts you above someone, power that dehumanizes, power that degrades or demeans any part of God's creation, probably not of God. To love a weak God and to love that weak God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength is to choose relationships particular relationships with your neighbors who are suffering under this world's power. These relationships will probably even cause you to suffer under the same power. This is the hard truth of Matthew 25 and of these beloved Beatitudes to love a weak God To love God and be in a place of weakness ourselves is hard, and it is at the same time to be in the circle of God's belovedness. And I think you guys are kind of on board with this idea. Like, I've seen it in, in the way that you all live. I think every one of you out there has embodied this idea at different times in your own life. It's frankly one of the most inspiring things about being your pastor. And yet I still suspect there is a bit of hesitation among you, a stubborn kind of wondering that lingers around the edges of your faith one that troubles you about all of this weak God stuff. And the wondering goes something like this. If Jesus and God are weak, does that mean the powers and the principalities of the world will always win? Will we always be subject then to the violence and the domination of the powers of the world? Will we always be subject to those with the sword, to those who wield lies and domination and disinformation, who trade in fear and terror? Will they always claim the upper hand if God chooses weakness? I mean, shouldn't, I know you've said this, I mean, shouldn't at least some of us strategically take on some of those powers so as to wrest control of our world? Like, isn't it better to defeat the principalities and powers, even if it means employing their techniques, and hope and pray we won't become like them in the process? I mean, I think we're all a little bit afraid that a God whose power is known in weakness is really just a weak God. I want to invite you to come back for one second to where we began last Sunday when we introduced this big idea about power. And I didn't say it then, but I'm going to say it now. This is one of the most controversial of the big ideas in all of Scripture. 
And when we introduced power last Sunday, we, we said that power is the, the ability to make something happen. And immediately, what I think of when I hear power, and maybe you do this too, immediately we slip into images of physical strength. We think about power as the, as the capacity to force someone to do something even if they don't want to, and yet... We also said power looks like this. Amen? This is power, too. This is a very different kind of power, something we now call soft power. Power, a power that makes things happen. But soft power makes things happen by influence by encouragement, by humor, and by affection. It's only even recently in our life as a people that we have even come to see this kind of power as power at all. But the more we learn about soft power, the more we understand that soft power has a greater impact on human existence than does coercive power. Soft power is frankly more powerful. Soft power never takes power. The power it has is all willingly given. We will give power to those around us whose actions make our lives better. We will give power to people who are kind and generous to people who demonstrate in their lives active concern for the common good. These people are powerful, and, and in fact, they keep their power longer because of the trust that they engender. God's power, God's power, is not what we've always thought. And it is not what the church has always taught. We've taught omnipotence. We've said that God is omnipotent in the sense that God makes all things happen. But, but I think God chooses soft power as the means to reconcile this creation. To chase out demonic powers. Soft power. Alfred North Whitehead, the great 20th century philosopher and the pioneer of process theology, wrote that God does appear in all things and all places, but not to make us cogs in a machine or pawns to move on a chessboard. Whitehead said that God appears as the poet of the world as the poet of the world, with tender patience, leading it by a vision of truth, beauty, and goodness. God doesn't exercise God's power by making things happen. God doesn't do it for us or to us, because that would be coercion and love. Love, which is the greatest form, the greatest expression of God's power, love never coerces. Love beckons, love charms, 
Love beguiles, love inspires, love embraces, love forgives, love always invites, love binds all things together in perfect harmony. The power of God is the power to create possibilities by which all things may happen, given the constraints of your creaturely freedom. God's power, as you experience it, is the soft power of relationship, a relationship between you and me and between you and God, a relationship that woos us toward the good. It is our own ability, along with our understanding, by which the infinite power of God's possibility becomes actuality. I know I've flown away into a land of abstractions. <laughs> so let me bring it back to where I think you and I know this to be true. Let's bring it back to where we started, which is that God is weak. And each of you has been weak. And some of us are weak right now. We have been afraid. We have been overwhelmed by the burdens of life. We have failed at something that was truly important to us. We have each been knocked down by hardship, by grief, and we have each fallen to our knees. It is there, in our weakness, that we discover that we are not alone. In weakness, we make the deepest friendships and solidarity with one another. In weakness, you receive the gifts that only others can give to you. In weakness, the communion, God's communion of generosity and grace claims you as one of its own. In weakness, you receive the love that joins your heart to the heart of God. In your weakness, we will find that our lives are enfolded into the warp and woof of the whole creation, that we are one with the whole creation, just as we are enfolded into the life and death and resurrection, into the love of God in Jesus Christ. And it is because of the power of this love that in our weakness we come to know that in God all things are possible. In our weakness we know that all things are possible with God. That is a paradox. It is also the gospel of Jesus Christ for you and for all of us. Let the church say alleluia and amen.